Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. We are continuing a series called Social Solutions. Because I believe there's a time and a day that we live in today where we're looking for answers in all the wrong places. And God's Word has social solutions for us for the challenges and, and things that we're facing. So we're walking through an Old Testament book called Nehemiah. This is actually the second part of this installment. If you missed last week, you can go onto our Facebook or on our YouTube channel. You can get it off our podcast thing if you want to download all that. And that's my limit of technology knowledge. So as the world is kind of reopening from COVID and rebuilding and, and re-engaging all this, I just thought, you know what? Let's just, let's go to God's word. Is there a rebuilding story that we could use as a model? Well, I think history is important. I think it's important to learn from those who've gone before us. And so that's what we're doing for the next couple of weeks. Nehemiah had some social issues, had some social chaos and God gave him social solutions, and, and that's kind of what we're doing over the next few weeks. So if you've got your Bible, you can go to the book of Nehemiah. If you didn't, don't worry about it. We'll put the words up on the screen for you. And this story takes place roughly 430 years before Jesus Christ was ever born. It has a companion book. It's right next to it in the Bible, the book of Ezra. And I'll come back to Ezra and I'll explain why those are companion books here in just a little bit. And I... I love history, and for those of you that don't like history, I'm just going to do my best not to bore you, but especially as I was growing and learning the Bible and so, and so forth, I'd go hear a, a preacher talk about Malachi or Obadiah or Job, you know, never mind, Job, and like, I want to know in the course of history, in the course of God's history with his people, where did that story take place? And so I'm, I'm just, for the sake of context... Let me just tell a little bit of a story, if you would. God found a man by the name of Abram, changed his name to Abraham. And if you grew up in Sunday school, Father Abraham, he's that guy, right? So God made a deal with Abraham. He said, Abraham, I will make you the father of many nations. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. And this is, this is where the story takes an interesting turn. Jacob's name, God actually changed his name to, you ready for it? Israel. That's where the name Israel comes from. Like, they, it, like over in the Middle East today, it could be the nation of Jacob. But it's not. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And Israel, or, or Jacob, he had 12 sons, and those 12 sons would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And during Jacob's lifetime, a famine struck the homeland that they lived in. And God opened up great opportunities, a great story. You can read all this in the book of Genesis. And so Jacob and all of his family moved to Egypt. And when they first moved to Egypt, it was good. And God's hand of blessing was on them. And they were welcomed as guests and so on and so forth. And they just grew and they multiplied and they grew and they multiplied. And then there came a king of Pharaoh that didn't know why they were there. He didn't know the whole story. He just became intimidated because the children of Israel, the children of Jacob, they were just growing stronger and stronger and stronger. So the Egyptians said, you know what? We better squelch this. We better oppress them. So they made them slaves for 430 years. The descendants of Abraham lived in Egypt, and for the majority of that time, they actually served as slaves to the Egyptians. And they cried out, God, where are you? We thought you made a deal with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and yet here we are. We find ourselves as slaves. 
So God knew it was time to act. So he raised up a man by the name of Moses. Moses goes into Egypt, says, Pharaoh, you need to let his people go. And the story of the exit or the exodus of the nation of Israel out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt is told in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And here was the deal. God said, listen, I'll be your God and you be my people. Follow my laws, follow my rules, and I'll protect you. But if you don't, I'm going to remove my covering. Don't worship other gods. Don't be careful about intermingling with other nations. It wasn't a racial thing. It wasn't we're a superior race. It's because they will pull you into their lifestyle of sin. They will pull you to worship their other gods. And sure enough, the children of Israel got to looking around at the other nations. Oh, oh, that God over there, he's pretty cool. He lets them party. You know, our God, he's kind of boring sometimes. Like their God, they get to say naughty words. We don't get to say no naughty words. And so sure enough, they would go serve these other gods because the sin looked enticing. And they stepped out from under the covering of God's protection. And God would send prophet after prophet after prophet to say, listen, this is the deal. I will be your God, you'll be my people, but you have to obey me. You have to not serve other gods. You have to follow my commands. But they wanted what they wanted. Sure enough, God fulfilled his promises. He's like, okay, if that's what you're going to do, I want to remove my covering. And he raised up a superpower at the time. The Babylonians became the world superpower. And they came through, and when the Babylonians would conquer you to oppress you and to make sure you knew who daddy was, you know what I'm saying? I'm your daddy. Okay, they would relocate people. So if you lived over here, but the Babylonians came up and conquered you, they're like, okay, you going over there, and you people to live over there, y'all going over here, and then y'all come, and they just kind of shuffled everything, really to keep any type of rebellions from ever coming up on the scene. Well, the Babylonians kind of stumble and fall a little bit, and there comes a new superpower. And I know this is where you don't like history, and you start to glaze over, you're tired of superpowers and all that. But the Persians came on the scene. One of the things that the Persians did was they said, you know what, you guys can go home. You, you've been away from your homeland long enough, you can go home. And there's two books in the Bible that tell the story of the children of Israel and their return to their homeland. It's the companion books I talked about. The story of Nehemiah that we're taking the next several weeks to walk through. And then the story of Ezra. Nehemiah tells the story of rebuilding the wall that protects the city of Jerusalem... Ezra talks about rebuilding the religious structure. He actually rebuilds the temple, but they're also rebuilding the religion of the Jewish people in that time. Okay, So we're starting today in Nehemiah chapter 2. But before I get there, I want to grab the last sentence of Nehemiah chapter 1. It says this, In those days I was the king's cupbearer. And I'm really confused by this. When I, when I look at chapter 1, it really probably would have made more sense to... Just include that in chapter 2. That's why I grab it today for today's story. Because it's a big pillar of the equation we're going to build. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 1. Early the following spring in the month of Nisan. During the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I'd never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. Are you deeply troubled or you must be deeply troubled? Then I was terrified. I replied... And when I read this, I, I just kind of imagine kind of a British accent. Long live the king! You know, sorry. I knew Jenny would laugh at that. It's cool. Um, how can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins. 
And the gates have been destroyed by fire. Verse 4. The king asked, well, how can I help you? So with a prayer to God in heaven, I replied, if it please the king, and if you're pleased with me, like if I've been good to you as a servant, man, you, you know me. We have relationship. Send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. I'm going to spoil the ending for you for today's story. Just go ahead, cut right to the chase, right? King lets him go. Matter of fact, king gives him everything that he needs to go back and rebuild the wall that surrounds Jerusalem. The culture and the times and the day that we live in. There are times that you and I as God's people have to stand and be counted. There are times that you and I as God's people, we have to step into a moment and we have to take a stand and do the right thing. And, and deep inside of all of us, there's these moments where we want to matter, right? We all want to make a difference. Like, that's a part of our church. It's part of our vision. We want people to know God. We celebrate kids, teenagers, even adults who come to Hillspringer through our ministries. And they come into a relationship with God. But, but it's more than just becoming a Christian. We want you to find freedom. We want you to discover that this is the greatest joy and the greatest life that this, this world has to offer. And find freedom in Christ. And then discover God made you for a purpose and a reason. Let's get all the stuff and the past and the problems. Let's get all that cut out of your life. And let's get focused on why God created you. Because in that space, man, that's really living. Four things, man, we want to we make a difference. Because we know inside all of us, there's that moment, there's that time, there's that space. Where we believe it's our time to step in. And make a difference. We love those stories about one person or a small group of people that they go hard, they do it, man. They make a difference. Their actions, their prayers, their leadership. It just has an impact on their moment. It has, a, has an impact in their generation. In this story, Nehemiah had to do something. He was broken by the news he'd received about Jerusalem lying in ruins. He had to step out into faith. He had to take a stand. So today, I want to look at Nehemiah's equation, his roadmap for what he did to step into his moment and stand up and be counted when it was time. He had to put his career on the line. He had to put his life on the line. Like, I'm just hoping I catch the king in a good mood, right? Nehemiah took a stand. Let's talk about how to do that. We live in a day and time where everybody's taking a stand, right? All the time. But is anything changing? Or is it just making things more divisive? So let's see what the Bible has to say. Let's see what the Bible teaches us about when to step into our moment. So the first part of this equation, this roadmap, right, is found at the end of chapter 1. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. That's more than a job. That's a friend. That's a very trusted position. You spent hours with the king because you never knew when he was going to get thirsty. Here's the deal. There were always assassination attempts. And so one of the easiest ways to assassinate a leader, poison their wine, poison their food. And that's what Nehemiah did. He protected the king. So whenever the king was thirsty or hungry or whatever, they would bring it into his presence and then Nehemiah would drink the wine, and then the king was kind of watching, see if he like got, like, I would be horrible at this job. Number one, I don't want to die, but number two, I'm such a jokester, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, get up, Brent, it's good, okay, just making sure, you know what I'm saying? 
right? And so the king would just watch, and, and so they would make sure that it wasn't po- Well, you had to trust the person that was drinking your wine. Because from the time he does this and brings it down, he could little slip a little something, something up in that house. You know what I'm saying? And so you, were, you never knew when the king was going to get thirsty, so you always had to be there, right? And so um, if I'm going to take a stand, this could be the most important component of this equation today. You ready? Take notes. You can write this down. If I'm going to make a difference, I have to pay the price of integrity. I have to pay the price of integrity. Like I have to be, I have to be trustworthy. If I want people to listen to me, I got to live a life worthy of the calling. Okay? Nehemiah's stand began way before this book was ever written. Like Nehemiah's moment had been cultivating and cultivating for years when he was just standing by the king. Just showed up every day to work, be faithful and trustworthy. Just showed up every day. For years, this moment was being cultivated because Nehemiah, day after day after day, was paying the price of integrity. If you want to have an impact, if you want to make a difference, if you want people to listen to you, you have to live a life worth listening to. Your cause begins with your character. Let me say that again if you want to tweet that. Instagram, Pinterest, whatever you're doing up in these days, right? Your cause begins with your character. The king was willing to listen to Nehemiah and help Nehemiah because he knew Nehemiah and he trusted Nehemiah's character. Nehemiah had proven himself faithful over a long time of humble service. The book of Proverbs, and, and the book of Proverbs is just spiritual advice. It's just good wisdom to live by. Proverbs 22, one says this, Choose a good reputation over great riches. I, there's going to be a time where I can cheat a little bit, make some extra money. I can step on somebody to climb the ladder. And, and the Bible, like God saying, no, 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 no. Choose character. Choose integrity. Choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. Listen, money will get you stuff, but it won't get you honor. Having money will get you noticed. It won't get you trusted. Being held in high esteem, (laughs) you can't buy that. You can't put a price tag on that. It comes with years of cultivating character, doing the right thing even when it's hard, doing the right thing when everybody's watching, doing the right thing when it would be easier not to. That's what Nehemiah did year after year after year after year. If you want to answer that call deep on the inside of us, I believe there's just this this calling at some point to, to have a moment, to step into that moment, to make a difference in my generation. You cannot just go do whatever you want, post whatever you want, blow up whoever you want, live however you want, and then when your number's called, have the integrity to step into that moment. It just don't work that way. It don't work that way. You have to make sure that you have the character and good reputation that you need so that people will listen, people will trust, and people will help. Somebody say Amen. Y'all still with me? All right. I lost first service about right there. Listen, if Nehemiah had not been faithful, if Nehemiah had not been trusted by the king, he wouldn't have had audience with the king. So this is what we do today. 
I think you'll connect with this. If I haven't really tended my character and my integrity, I haven't really done my due diligence on my life, but I got a moment, I, I need to borrow somebody's character and integrity. So we know somebody, or we're, we're, we're friends with somebody or whatever, that they've paid the price. They have the integrity in their life. So I just kind of borrow their influence. I associate myself with them, right? Has anyone ever asked you for a reference, and deep down on the inside you're like, oh, this is not a good idea. Come on, somebody, you know what I'm talking about? My dear friend Gene Williams, who's gone on to be with the Lord, told me this story one day that, he and Miss Phyllis owned a pharmacy in Hollis. And no, you can't get there from here without using a horse-drawn wagon somewhere down in Harmon County, right? Devin, I'm preaching, aren't I? You know what I'm saying? Um, they would have employees, and, and so employees would go apply for new jobs, and so they would call former employers, you know, or, or maybe sometimes somebody would list Gene and Phyllis as a reference. Never will forget this story, and I... I, I I use this, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so somebody would call and, and, and ask Miss Phyllis about an employee, and this is what she would say. Now, I always remember really well the employees that worked hard for us and did the right things, and we would always hire them back. I always remember those employees. I just don't recall the person you're asking about today. <laughs> Some of y'all going to use that, you know what I'm saying? We live in a world where people don't want to pay the price for character. We live in a world where people don't want to pay the price for integrity. I want to do whatever I want to do, say whatever I want to say, blow up whoever I want to do, post whatever opinion I want to pin. But then when the time comes, then I, I try to borrow someone else's influence. It don't work that way. Character creates opportunities. If you want to take a stand... You want people to listen. You want people to notice. You want the king to say yes. You have to be that person that's willing to pay the price of integrity. Kings, don't get caught up in every little drama that comes along that you hear about. Kings, don't, don't spread rumors and gossip. And taking a stand long before the moment begins with character. Nehemiah paid the price of integrity. If you're still with me, say amen. In those days, I was the king cupbearer, chapter 2, verse 1. In the following spring, we're going to talk about that in just a second. In the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I'd never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. So, so to understand this next component of this roadmap to taking a stand, you have to take chapter 2 and you have to lay it on top of chapter 1 to really understand the context of what's going on. First thing he did, right? He paid the price for integrity. The second thing he did was he prayed for the moment. you got to pray for the moment. So let me show you the math. Chapter 1 begins, this is Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. In late autumn, that would be our November, December, okay? It says, it's the month of Kislev, right? So I'm not really familiar with the Jewish calendar. I'm not, so I had to go do some research. And so you can see, I hope you can see that back there where you're at. But I laid out the Jewish calendar. So Kislev is our November, December-ish. That's when Nehemiah's brothers come to him and say, hey, we got a problem. 
Nehemiah chapter 2 begins in the year of Nisan, which is our March and April. Four months. Four months. If you read Nehemiah chapter 1, it says that Nehemiah was broken and he wept and he prayed and he fasted for days. But he doesn't take his issue to the king for four months. He got the news in Kislev, but he didn't seize the day until Nisan. And so that's why you have to look at Nehemiah chapter 1. What did he do for those four months? Well, he binged watched a couple of series on Netflix, right? Went and floated the Illinois River. You know what I'm saying? The guy just, he was on quarantine. He didn't do anything. That's not what happens in Nehemiah chapter 1. If you read Nehemiah chapter 1, the bulk of it is a prayer. He prayed. He prayed for his moment. And I don't, I, I don't know. When I'm studying the Bible and a sentence or a word or something jumps off at me, i got to back up and kind of flesh it out a little bit. He made this statement. He said, I've never been sad in the king's presence. I served him every day right by his side, right by his side. Here's your wine. Thank you. Here's more wine. I've had a little too much wine. <laughs> for four months, the guy showed up for work, did his job, never took a personal day, never gathered a crowd at work. Oh, my God, you don't even know what's going on. Artaxerxes don't even care about my people. I don't care about my home. You know? He didn't post on Facebook. For four months, he just did his job. For four months, he just showed up to work and had a smile. I'd never appeared sad. The people around him knew nothing was wrong. What did he do between Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, and Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1? He prayed. And he prayed for God to give him the wisdom. He prayed for God to give him the moment. He prayed for God to give him the words. When that door of opportunity opened, he would know this is my moment to walk in. So I, I call this the now what? Like you have to have a tough conversation. You have to deal with some conflict or confrontation. I just, I call it the now what? You don't just go barreling in. King! My brother just showed up, him and his boys, and they said out there in Jerusalem, it's a mess. And you, I'll tell you what you and your people aren't doing. You, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't. You need to slow down. You need to calm down. You need to gather your emotions. You need to get emotions out of the way. You need to pray for the right moment, the right words to act. And let me just I'll tell you, I'll give you a secret, lean in. It's not going to be on your timetable. Some of us get so emotional. I'll tell you what I'm going to do right now, by God. And he's like, oh, really, by who? You know? Let me show you in Proverbs. Whoever is slow to anger, I don't know, I want to take a risk and put a different word in there too. I'm not trying to change the Bible, but whoever is slow to respond is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit, like... He who controls his emotions, he's who can take the city. Emotional decisions are never good decisions. James 1.19, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to listen, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, slow to respond. For the anger of a man does not produce righteousness of God. It is, you cannot bear fruit out of frustration. So before you go in guns blazing and letting the king have it, slow down, ask for wisdom, pray, get a plan, let the emotions clear out of the way, let some clarity come. It's what we call the now what principle. When I have something hard I have to do, I'm praying for now what? I pray, God, you give me the now. 
that I will know in my spirit when the right time to move comes. Like, I get the sense that Nehemiah did that for four months. He just prayed, God, you tell me when. You tell me when the king's in a good mood. Lord, you tell me when the moment is right. You tell me when you've worked and cultivated the soil. You've created the circumstances that I can move into. Lord, I'm just waiting on your spirit to nudge me. I'm praying for this now. And then it's like the Holy Spirit, like, okay, now, now, now's the door of opportunity. But I don't just pray for timing, right? I got to pray for the right thing to say. I got to pray for the what. What do I say? What do I do? God, give me the words to speak. Sometimes we know the now. Well, somebody got to do something. But I don't know what. Like, I kind of know, but the words are all jumbled. And if I jump in too much and I talk and it's confusing and everybody just leaves all frustrated. So, yeah, I pray for the timing, the now, but I also have to pray for the what. And if I'll slow down, man, so many times in the middle of the night I wake up and go, oh, there it is. Boom. It just drops in my spirit. And God gives me some perspective. There's some things I haven't even considered about the situation and the story. So that when I wait on the now what and I step into that moment, man, not always easy, but you can tell God's gone before you. Sometimes I can have the what. Well, this is what I got to say. But if I go at the wrong time, it only makes things worse. I need to wait for the now what. God, prepare me, prepare the moment for me. And so Nehemiah prayed for the moment. He said, I never before appeared sad in the king's presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You got COVID? You coughing over there? What's up? Where's your mask? <laughs> you must be deeply troubled. Don't miss these four words. Then I was terrified. Like something about Nehemiah nudged him, behave a little different today. Today, today God's going to create an opportunity where you can talk to the king. And so today I, I may not be on my A game. And the king knows me well enough to know something's not right. Nehemiah, what's the matter with you? And all of a sudden, it just gets real. I mean, you could translate that. Then I was terrified. You could translate it. It just got real. <laughs> Uh-oh. I've done it now. i got to step into this moment. This is hard. He could lose everything. He could lose his job, lose his career. He could lose his life. Artaxerxes might have been in a bad mood that day. I don't want to hear about him. Go put him, kill him. You know what I'm saying? And Nehemiah clearly is taking a risk. He's scared. He's terrified. Verse 3, but I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Verse 4, the king said, well, how can I help? Look at this statement. This is another one of those that kind of caught my attention. He says, with a prayer to God of heaven. Before he even spoke another word, he just stopped. Number three, if you're taking notes, pause and pray. In the middle of this moment, king's looking right at you. He's asking, what's going on with you? What's the matter with you? And in the tension and in the terrifying moment, Nehemiah uses a little trick. I do the same thing. I do it every Sunday. You'll notice, before I ever start to preach a word, I start right here. And this little trick, I, I'm not the first one to label it this, but I call it a breath prayer. That's what Nehemiah does. He's like, right here in this moment with the king, Nehemiah, what's the matter with you? Whew, scary. I was terrified. Tense moment. 
I prayed to God in heaven, and then I stepped into that moment. Breath prayer. You just pause, pray first. God, help me say it right. Like when I step into each message, I'm like, Lord, help me, but help them. You know what I'm saying? This could get messy up in here. In that moment where you're just catching yourself, you're kind of checking your gut. You know what I'm saying? Just pause for, for just a second. And the Holy Spirit may go, no, 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 don't, no, not right now, don't, let's not, let's, let's wait till tomorrow, okay? Or the Holy Spirit could go, yeah, this is it. Step in. I've opened this door for you. Go. And Nehemiah paused, and he, in this breath prayer, this is not, hey, king, if you could give me 10 minutes to go to my prayer closet, that's not what's going on. Nehemiah had been praying for four months. He'd already done the heavy lifting of prayer. This is something that takes place in the moment where he just pauses and he checks his gut, see if the Holy Spirit has last words. And the breath prayer lasts as long as it takes you to breathe. God help me. And then he stepped in. It's time. You can do this. With a prayer to the God of heaven. Please help me. I replied. If it pleased the king, and if you're pleased with me, like if I paid the price of integrity, king, if I served you every day, every day, you've trusted me, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. So Nehemiah had paid the price of integrity. He prayed for four months and waited. He was waiting for that now what moment. And when the Holy Spirit prompted him, when God opened that door, he paused and he prayed. Here we go. He stepped into it. Number four, proceed with faith. Proceed with faith. So, have you ever seen the movie Secondhand Lions, the two old men that kind of raised the boy? Um, that's my grandfather and my uncle. I'm just telling you that if you knew Bill Kellogg and Billy Guy Kellogg, they are, we call them the Secondhand Lions. I'm just telling you. My grandfather is 91 years old. About four weeks ago, I went and spent the week with him down at, at Daisy, and I mowed for him and trimmed around his hedges, cut my knee open with a chainsaw, nothing really mattered, you know. And, and he needed to go to the doctor, and my uncle was out of town. That's why I went. I said, you know what, I'll just go spend the week with my granddad and help him do whatever he wants to do. And, um, I got to take him to the doctor, and we went to go see Doc Ellis in Hugo. Um, interesting fun fact about Dr. Ellis, he's actually the doctor that delivered me. Do you remember? Do I look the same? He's like, uh-uh. I'm like, well, that was the best day of your career. Let's just get real. It was fun. It was cool to see Dr. Ellis. It was great. And I, while I was there, I kind of, he'd given him some new medication. So I kind of had to sort through and count my grandfather's medication, all that. When you're 91, there's just a lot going on. You know what I'm saying? He's got high blood pressure and low blood pressure, I think, at the same time. I don't know. But he takes, like, he don't need to eat breakfast. He's like, take so many meds. That's what it is, you know? I call him Wild Bill. Every time I call him, I go, well, Wild Bill. That's how he knows it's me. I go, Wild Bill, what are you doing? Like, he's part feline. He doesn't like cats. But the brother's got nine lives. You know what I'm saying? It's just crazy. So when he was a young man, he and my grandma lived out in Northern California, and he was logging trees up in the redwoods, right? And so he was out up on the side of this hill one day, and they were, they were falling timber, and he hears a commotion and a bunch of hollering going on up the hill up above him. And lo and behold, there is this log 
that's rolling down the hill and he just throws his saw and he runs and he actually, there happened to be a creek embankment that he jumps down in and as he gets down in that embankment, he watches that log go over his head. To this day, he will tell you, I should have died on the side of that hill in California. They'd move back home. One day they're out working cows. My granddad had a favorite horse named Bullet. Like, I guess he thought he was the Lone Ranger or something, right? And so he had his favorite horse, Bullet, and they were out, and they'd been working cows and gathering cows or whatever, and Bullet's heart exploded, and he had a heart attack, and he fell with my grandfather still riding him, and Bullet fell over, broke his leg, but he's pretty lucky. To this day, he'll say, you know, I got really lucky how that horse fell because he could have fell and rolled over on top of me and killed me. He and my uncle, the second-hand lions, they were out flying one day. My granddad was a pilot, and they had airplanes and all that stuff, and they were crazy. And my dad was out fishing in the pond right there, and they were up there flying, and, and, and dad was fishing. And so one of the things my wild Bill liked to do is he liked to get up there in the air, and they'd fly that thing, and then they would turn the motor off and just... It's real peaceful, quiet. The problem is, when you're up that high in the air, it's cold. And your carburetor will freeze up. And so my dad's fishing, and he remembers watching them, and he was trying to start that motor. And that motor wouldn't start. They come right over the top of my dad, crash right into the timber. Remember my dad, you say, you know, when I walked out to that crash site, I expected to find two bodies out there. He didn't. He lived. <laughs> oh, wild Bill. It's been a week in the hospital in Oklahoma City, but he survives. Then there's a day they were loading hay out on the hay meadow, and they were hauling it back to the house, and he's always lived a little wild. And so they were hauling it on a flatbed trailer, and they would stack the bottom, and then they would stack on top of those, and then he'd like to put one more up on top. And his tractor then didn't have a cab on it. He's like putting that hay bale up on top, and that hay bale gets unsteady, and it rolls back, and he barely gets off but the hay bale pins him up against the wheel well of the tractor broke five ribs and completely collapsed one of his lungs that to this day doesn't work and then there's the time in his late 70s that he's out in the pasture and they're trying to carouse a bull around the bull says I ain't having it and the bull comes after him on the four-wheeler flips the four-wheeler over on top of him breaks his shoulder blade and another five ribs Right? And then the bull keeps after him. Bulls like gouging it. Doing what bulls do. Okay? Um, he's 91 and he has congestive heart failure. <laughs> so I called him the other day. Hey, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're just out here bailing hay. Of course you are, right? <laughs> I, I was raised in a family. We can get through this. Like one of the things my mom's dad, like the Bodie family, is you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. We can do this. And it's not about being a Kellogg and just that true grit. It's not about being a Bodie and, you know, that toughness. It's the power of God at work on the inside of us. One of the best things my parents ever taught me is when they go and get tough, we go to the Father. My mama taught me to memorize some verses like 1 John chapter 4. Greater is he that's in me than the devil that's in the world. 
than the circumstances that are going on. God's put a power on the inside of me to overcome that. Like Philippians 4.13, that I can do all things, not just the easy things, not just the comfortable things, but I can step into my moment. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or Ephesians 3.20, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask, think, I like the word the imagine, according to the power that works in us. Isaiah 40, 31, that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. Listen, lean in just a little bit. This generation, listen to me, young people. Your generation has bought the lie I just can't do this. I've never seen a generation give up more than right now in history. That's why we call it the cancel culture. Oh, it might be hard. Let's just cancel. Oh, somebody might get offended. Let's just, let's just, let's just cancel. Every time I turn around, I hear, I just can't do it. We just can't do this. Listen, God didn't call you here to quit. God didn't call you here for you to give up. He's looking for a man. He's looking for a woman. He's looking for a young person. He's looking for an old person who will take a stand for the right thing at the right time, that will wait upon the Lord, let God renew their strength, and they will step into the moment that he has created for them to seize the day. you got to proceed with faith. You can do all the other stuff. But when God opens that door, you got to pause and pray and say, Woo here we go. And you got to step into that moment and you've got to proceed with faith. Will you be terrified? Yes, Nehemiah was. He said, in that moment, I was scared. But that's why we call it faith. If I can do it on my own, it don't need faith. If I can do it without God, it won't have the power of God in it. Listen, if he will shut the mouth of a lion, <laughs> Listen, if he will walk me through a fiery furnace, if he'll roll away the stone and call out what was dead and make it now alive, that is the kind of moment where miracles happen. It's in that moment that we see my God is a way maker. Come on, church, let's sing it out. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.